Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. Let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. Father, we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. Father, further, God, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. God, they will be able to use this word and make their lives better. But God, we're not just talking about a year from now. Not a month from now, not a week from now, not even a day from now, even though that's good. Our deepest prayer is that they get something out of the word today that will change their life immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Loved ones, if you would, lift your Bibles up. I don't care what form they take. They can be on your phone, your iPad. They can be old school, hard copy, you know, with the United States of America price on the back and the Europe price, Japanese, Japan price on the back. Whatever it is, let's say this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God has created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, God's using it, that series, given that this is really my first opportunity to talk to you about this series, there are a whole bunch of things that race through my mind. There are a lot of topics we can cover with a subject like that. For me, do I have something specific to talk to you about? <laughs> you know I do. The other thing you know about me, though, is I'm a big believer in there's really no reason to put information before a group of people without everybody first having the same frame of mind. Because people think differently. And the worst thing I want to do is, the last thing I want to do is give something as a piece of information and you're thinking about it one way, you're thinking about it one way, and you're thinking about it one way, then we're not cohesive in our learning. What I'm going to do on this, at the start of my discussion with you, so this session, is going to be lay out a thought. And the beauty of me being here this Sunday is I am teaching on the heels of Easter Sunday. Teaching on the heels of Easter Sunday is great. It's phenomenal for me because Jesus is the subject that I want to use to lay out this foundational thought. So, bonus. You should already have Jesus on the mind. And if you didn't, for whatever reason, after you heard that, the blood still works. The blood still, 
I know you got him on your mind now. After a praise song like that, if you ain't had Jesus on your mind then, I don't know what, what, what you're here for. Yeah. <laughs> my, my parents would say, what, what, what you here for? All right, here we go. You know, if we were to take a calendar, just a regular old calendar, and we were to put on that calendar days that are important to Christians, just in a date range kind of perspective, we would get an image that looks something like this. Notice this first image. Now, it, it begins with December, and it's a timeline. And we're not looking to be exact with the dates and whatnot. But you will notice all the months of the year are there. Instead of going January, February, March, all the way to December, it starts in December. December, January, et cetera, through November. For, for, for the Christian folk, and keep in mind when I say Christians, that, that's a big word. You got Baptist, you got Catholic. So the dates, specific things that people do leading up to certain things can be different. But in general, in general, observe. From December to about eh, sometime through February-ish, there is a focus on Jesus being born. From that point and carrying forward to about sometime in May, there's a focus on Jesus, his crucifixion and resurrection. Now, in that time frame, you got a whole bunch of stuff. You got, you know, Ash Wednesday, which is the beginning of Lent. You have Good Friday. Some people even slide in their Palm Sunday, right? Ultimately, you end up with Jesus, his crucifixion, fiction, his death, burial, and resurrection. And for the remainder of the year for Christians, that's kind of like just ordinary days. Just plain old days. Not that there's nothing important going on, just from a Christian perspective. If we took the same general look, but instead of showing the general calendar, if we just took those first two sections and did a timeline on Jesus's life, we get this. Notice this image. When you think about Jesus, there was a time where he was born, and then there was a time where we can say he, he, he died or he was crucified, he resurrected, all of that stuff. Those are the endpoints of his life. And those endpoints, they form the basis of our two greatest holidays, the birth, Christmas, the resurrection, Easter. And when you think about those endpoints, people get into heated debates about which one of those endpoints is most important. Heated debates. Some people say, doggone it, it was more important that he was born. Then other people say, I'm not so sure about that, my brother. Because if he never went to the cross, 
if he never was crucified, if he never hung on that cross, if he never bled, if he never died, if they never put him in that borrowed tomb, if he never resurrected, then you and me, brother, we'd still be lost, my brother. <laughs> to which the other side just says simply, yeah, but cause all that don't matter if he was never born. And I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. I get the back and forth. You want to make sure people know that when they talking about your Jesus, there's something about your Jesus that you take to heart. Unfortunately, and I'm going to tell you, this is my opinion. Say pastor's opinion. I don't want to step on nobody, auntie, grandma, old pastor. I, this is pastor, pastor's opinion. And your pastor's opinion those kind of debates, it doesn't matter how, how well-structured they are, how well-researched they are, how, how intelligent and educated they sound, all of those is just unnecessary verbal and emotionally, emotional jousting. If I were to be real, real blunt with you, like I don't care who told you what, I would tell you this, it borders on ignorance to make that kind of debate. Why? Because there is not just a single instance in Jesus' life that is necessarily more important than the other. All of Jesus' existence on the earth, all of it was significant, vital, pivotal to the work he had to do as our Savior. Notice this next image. The fact that Jesus was born to a virgin Mary, significant, no doubt. The other end point, the fact that he went to the cross, the fact that he bled, the fact that he died, the fact that he was buried, the fact that he resurrected, significant, no doubt. But don't you dare belittle what happened in the time in between. Don't do it. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I'll say it to you this way. Have you ever attended? It can be a memorial service. It can be a home going, depending on how you grow up. You call it different things. Where when you walk in, what they do is put something in your hand usually. And that thing is a program, it's a handout, it's got information about the person. And it has two dates. It has a date they entered this world, and it had a date they exited this world. And separating those dates is a dash. And sometimes if you've attended many of them over the years, what you'll hear here is someone who talks about that person who does a eulogy, they'll say something like, you know, we have before us information about when that person entered this earth and when they exited this life. But what makes that person most important to us is the work they did during the dash. The work they did while they were old enough to get up and do stuff. It's good that they were born. And our heart breaks if we love them when they depart. 
But my God, the part that really made them stand out was not that they were just born and didn't use their gifts, born and didn't use their talents, born and didn't do nothing for anybody, and then transition. It's the fact that they did so much good work in this world during the dash that we have to say something about them and celebrate them today. It's not just about the endpoints. Just as critical is the time in between. Let's take a second and let's fill in some of that time in between for Jesus. Watch this image. If we were to fill in some events, some time in between. Now, everything that we're going to do on images that look like this is from the book of Matthew. We didn't necessarily try to go through all, all the four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but this is from the book of Matthew. And whenever you see something that's specifically referenced by a scripture, I did my best to put it in the order that it occurs in Matthew. If it don't have a scripture, more than likely, I put it the best place it graphically would fit on the screen. <laughs> Clear? All right. We're not going to read these, but they're here for your reference if you so choose to. But if we were to start filling in some Jesus events from his life, we would say, ooh, Matthew 1 says he was born. Matthew 3, verses 16 through 17, he's baptized by John the Baptist, at which point God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11 he is led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. And each point that the devil tempted him, he began with, my boy, it is written. Right. <clears throat> After that, Matthew 4 and 17, Jesus begins to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, all throughout his life, he also did other stuff. He taught in parables. He taught a parable about the sower. He says a sower goes out and sows the seed, and that was basically the word. Some falls on stony ground. Basically, the devil comes immediately, no matter how much word you give them, and snap it right up so they don't get nothing. That's, that's, that's by the wayside. The stony ground is it springs up quickly but don't have no root, and it withers. So they get, they get the word and hang on for a little while, but it's nothing, it's nothing sticks. Some is among thorns and thistles and weeds. Worldly issues come and choke the word right out of them. Then there are some that falls on good ground, and it produces some 30, some 60, et cetera, et cetera. He told a parable. He says, you know what? There's a parable about an unmerciful, unmerciful servant. He owed his, his big boss a whole bunch of money. And he said, please, 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 pretty please, don't, 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 please don't hurt me, don't harm me, don't lock me up. And he said, you know what, I forgive you your debt. But then he went and found somebody that owed him like a penny, $20, $30, whatever it was, and he grabbed it, it says he grabbed him by the throat. And you know what is the, the master, the big boss, found out and says, you know what, you, you, you low down, dirty, no good person, I'm going to lock your behind up 
now until you pay everything that you owe me. In other words, if you've been shown mercy, show somebody else mercy. He also told a parable. He says, you know, there is this guy who owns some stuff, and he went out and he, he gave talents. He gave one person one talent, gave one person two talents, gave another person five talents. And then he went off for a while and came back. And you know what? Two of those guys did good. They doubled what they had. Then there was another guy that I had given one, and he had given one. And you know what he did? He buried it in the earth. And then he tried to tell me and kind of tried to, tried to flatter me and say, hey, you know what? I know that you are a hard taskmaster, master, and I didn't want to lose your money, so I just buried it in the earth. You know what he did? He took that talent and gave it from, to the person that had now had 10 talents. In other words, use what God gave you. Don't take what God gave you and bury it under, 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 in the dirt. Don't, don't do nothing with it. If he gave you something, he expects you to put it to work and produce. So he taught parables. He also did some direct teaching. He taught on fasting and giving and prayer and, and being, being kind to people. He, he also talked about not being so critical. Well, let me show you this one. And it, it's, in the, it's in the book of, a book of Matthew. I'm in Matthew. So Matthew chapter 7. I'm in the easy to read version. Matthew chapter 7, notice this, talking about being critical. Listen how Jesus laid it down. I like, I like Jesus was kind of like, you, you expect, you know, if Jesus was in our day, you know, he would probably drive like a pimped out ride and he'd be a little gangster. But look at this. It says, he, he, start, he said, look, don't judge others and God will not judge you. If you judge others, you will be judged the same way you judge them. God will treat you the same way you treat others. Now, he finna get, he finna get hard on, some, on your head now. Why do you notice a small piece of dust that is in your friend's eyes, eye, but don't notice that big piece of wood in your own? Oh, he ain't done. Why do you say, your, say to your friend, let me take that piece of dust out of your eye? Look at yourself first. You still have that big piece of wood in your own eye. You are a hypocrite. First, take the wood out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to get the dust out of your friend's eye. Now, let's marinate on that for a minute. Because people are quick to get all up in your grill and all up in your business and all up in your house about stuff that you doing. And guess what? They doing that and then some. You know, let me tell you, I noticed your, your kids are a little out of control. Let me tell you how you should be doing. Let me tell you what you're doing wrong. Let me give you some instruction. And, and your kids tearing up Walmart. <laughs> yo, 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 kids so, so little thug that the moment your family pull up in the parking lot, they see you on the security camera. Text messages start going out. They back. 
They know the last time you was there, they had to shut down aisles five through nine for a week. Your child climbing up on top of the rack. Opening toys, they know that y'all ain't, you ain't finna buy. Terrorizing people. Then got a Slurpee and the Icy, and it done spilled all over, all over the aisle. They got to mop it up. No goodness well, they should have put on lotion before they left the house. They in the lotion aisle, putting on lotion, ain't bought nothing yet. Brought them there, they putting on deodorant, should have put on deodorant before they left the house. Talking about they need some deodorant. You need to buy that deodorant first. They look at your children as public enemy number one when you walk in the door. But you want to try to tell somebody else that their kid's bad. And let me tell you, for them, this is, this is, once again, your pastor's opinion, people will tell you that there are no such thing as bad kids. Keep living. I'm not speaking over nobody's kids. My own or nobody else's. But there are children out there that will challenge that thought. And let me tell you, a large, part, a large portion of the time, it's not their fault. It's the guidance they've been given or not given. It's the environment that they're trying to survive in. I get it. But the Bible says that we should call those things that be not as though they are. It does not say to call those things that are as if they are not. Some, some, some little ones are rough. And I let me get back on you. And you're trying to talk about somebody else's and yours is the worst of the litter. Get the beam out your own eye. Yo, yo, if, I, if, I, if you allow me to use this word one more time, your kids so bad, baby kids call them bad. Just, but but what what is what is he saying? Stop being so critical. Before you go and criticize somebody about an issue, by the way, you might be right on. Make sure that your situation is not a reflection of what you complaining that they doing. You trying to tell somebody don't gossip. And you, you the neighborhood gossip queen. Trying to tell somebody don't, don't lie. And the last time you told the truth was in the third grade. Come on now. Get the piece of wood out your own eye. As we say from the country, sweep around your own front door. Before you come sweeping around mine. But he did some direct teaching. He also healed people. And when I'm saying he healed people, there's a, there's a point in time where he healed a centurion's servant by just sending the word. God says, you know what? I'm a man under authority. I know how it is. You just send the word. Boom. Heal. He healed a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. And while on his way to heal a ruler's daughter who he said, my daughter has died. In Mark, it says, when Jesus got there, he told the girl, Talitha Kumi, girl, get up. With the power that's given to me, I command thee to rise. 
he did miracles too. He calmed a storm. He walked on water. He fed more than 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. He did so many, and this is just a smattering. And, and all of that happened between the endpoints. Outside of us talking about him being tempted by the devil, none of these things really seem unsettling until we step back and we acknowledge that all of this is going on with the backdrop of men who want to harm Jesus. Jesus had antagonists. Notice. Who are these antagonists? You've heard of them. Scribes. Pharisees. Sadducees. Herodians. Chief priests. Elders. And, and the devil. You know, devil's in there. Devil's always in the mix. Now, sometimes people say that the devil did it, but sometimes people just want to do you wrong. And I understand that he's the influence, but... Sometimes he's in, the, 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 in, in, in Ephesians 6, where it talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's King James. The Amplified says we wrestle not against flesh, flesh and blood only. Only. That means there is some spiritual stuff you got to deal with, but there are some knuckleheads you got to deal with too. If we took a moment and spread out some of this antagonistic stuff on his timeline, we get this. Now, all the good stuff he did is still on there in the background. But people who wanted to harm him, listen, at a minimum, discredit him. At the maximum, take him out. Kill him. Herod tried to kill Jesus when Jesus was around two years old. Let's look at that. Matthew 2, verse 16. We're just going to hit those high points. Herod saw that the wise man had fooled him, and he was very angry. So he gave an order to kill all baby boys in Bethlehem and the whole area around Bethlehem. Herod had learned from the wise men the time the baby, mean Jesus, was born. It was now two years from that time, so he said to kill all boys who were two years old. Trying to take him out early before he can even get through trying to qualify for the work. Back to the image. Herod trying to kill him. The Pharisees plotted to kill him. That's in Matthew 12. And then I'm going to go ahead and read this, and we're going to go through those scriptures here. And in another place, the Pharisees and Herodians tried to trap him in his words. When they tried to trap him in his words, that didn't work. And then guess what? The Sadducees tried. And then that didn't work. An expert in the law who was a Pharisee tried again, trying to track him up, trap him up, trying to discredit him. Let's read those. 
Everybody says it's good to read the word. Jesus did all this stuff, but there were people trying to knock a brother down. Then Jesus said to the man with the crippled hand, hold out your hand. The man held out his hand and it became well again, the same as the other hand. Now, Jesus is healing on the Sabbath day. And they're saying, now, how stupid does that sound? How dare you do the Lord's work on the Lord's day? Come on. But the Pharisees left and made plans to kill Jesus. All because he was doing the work on the Lord's day. At one place, they said, how dare you? Jesus says, my father's always working. <laughs> my, 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 dad, my, my daddy don't clock out. Go to the, go to the next one. Let's look, at, let's look at the Matthew 22s. Now, they're trying to, they're trying to discredit him. Then the Pharisees left the place where Jesus was teaching. They made plans to catch him saying something wrong. Look at that. They sent some men to Jesus. They were some of their own followers and some from the group called the Herodians. There you go. They said, teacher, we know you are an honest man. Mm, trying to set him up. We know you teach the truth about God's way. You are not afraid of what others think about you. All people are the same to you. Mm -mm. So tell us, what do you think? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? We're not going to go through it, but they're trying to trap him. Go to the next one. When they heard that Jesus said, nope, not the next one. Yeah, here you go. When they heard that what Jesus said, they were amazed. They left him and went away. So he, that didn't work. Go, go to the next one. That same day, some Sadducees came to Jesus Sadducees did not believe that the Sadducees believe that no one will rise from the death. Sadducees asked Jesus a question. They said, teacher, Moses told us that if a married man dies and had no children, his brother must marry the woman. Then they will have children from the dead for, for the dead brother. Here's the next one. Basically, he, he, he kicked them to the curb. He answered them in a way they couldn't, they, he stumped them. So it then says, the Pharisees learned that Jesus had made to say that he made them look foolish. He made the Sadducees look so foolish that they stopped trying to argue with him. So the Pharisees had a meeting. What was the meeting about? Then one of them, an expert in the law, Moses, asked Jesus a question to test him. And here's the question. He said, teacher, which of the command, which command in the law is the most important? Go back to the image. All of this, they were trying to trick Jesus, but guess what? He stumped them all. Now, let's go to this next one, Matthew 26. I want you to know this real quick. All in his life, it's very important. Hold on to this, family. Also, in Matthew 26, chief priests and others plot his death. Judas takes 30 coins of silver to betray him. And Peter says, Lord, I will never disown you. Let's look at those. So Matthew started 26, starting in verse 1, going through verse 5, I think. After Jesus finished saying all these things, he said to his followers, 
you know that the day after tomorrow is Passover. On that day, the Son of Man will be handed over to his enemies to be killed on a cross. Then the leading priests and the older Jewish leaders had a meeting at the place where the high priest lived. The high priest's name was Cephas. In the meeting, they tried to find a way to arrest and kill Jesus without anyone knowing what they were doing. They planned to arrest Jesus and kill him. Pause right there. Notice this, because I'm coming back to this. They wanted to do it in a manner where nobody else would know. Go to the next verse. They said, we cannot arrest Jesus during the Passover. During Passover, we don't want the people to become angry and cause a riot. Family, they trying to figure out a way to harm this man, to do their dirt and hide their hands. Sound familiar? To make sure that nobody know that I did you wrong and we don't get in trouble for doing you wrong. Go to the next one because we coming back there. Here's the Judas thing. Starting in Matthew 26, verse 14. And all of these are easy to read version. Then one of the 12 followers, 12 followers, 12 followers, one of your friends, one of the one person that's close, one of the 12 followers went to talk to the leading priest. This was the follower named Judas Iscariot. He said, I will hand Jesus over to you. What will you pay me for doing this? The priest gave him 30 coins, 30 silver coins. After that, Jesus waited for the best time to hand Jesus, his friend, his master, over to them. Hmm. Go, to the next, go to the last one. Starting in verse 31, Matthew 26, Jesus told the followers, Tonight you will all lose your faith in me. The scriptures say, I will kill the shepherd and the shepherd will run and the sheep will run away. But after I am killed, I will rise from the death. I will rise from death. Then I will go into Galilee. I will be there before you go. I will be, I will be there before you go there. Peter, here we go. Peter says, all the other followers may lose their faith in you, my Jesus, my Lord, my master. But my faith will never be shaken. I will never dis disown you. Jesus answered, the truth is, tonight you will say you don't know me. You will deny me three times before the rooster crows. But Peter answered, I will never, they call Jesus a liar. I will never say I don't know you. I will even die with you. And all the followers said the same thing. We pick at Peter for saying it, but what does it say? All them rascals said the same thing. Back to my image. From Matthew 26, 36 through the end of the book, through chapter 28, what do we have? Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. I believe it's Luke that said he prayed, he, he sweated so much that it was like, it was like blood dripping from his brow. The disciples fled. He was taken to one of the high priests, see if, that Cephas guy. He was falsely convicted as an enemy. He was disrobed. He was spit on. And it says he was beaten with fists. 
Peter, the one that said, Lord, I would never disown you, did what Jesus said, disowned him three times. One version, one, one of the books said that he actually, on the last time, started cussing. <laughs> I don't know him one time. I don't know him two times. Doggone it, bleepity bleep. You done asked me that bleepity bleep question three times now, and I done told your bleepity bleep that I ain't know no bleepity bleep Jesus. I ain't never been with him. Now get out of my bleepity bleep face. He, that's what it say. That's my, that's my dramatized version. He gets sent to Pilate, the governor. Pilate's having a little shindig. He tells the people, who do we release? Do we release Barabbas? a criminal, a robber, a rebel, a rebel, a murderer, or do we release Jesus? They say, give us the criminal and crucify Christ. They put a thorn of crowns on his head. He's mocked. He's spit on. He's beaten in the head. He's crucified. He's died. He dies on the cross. He's buried, but he gets up. But he resurrects. Now, family, let's lock in on the frame of mind that I want to get you at. All of this stuff happened between the endpoints. It's not that he was born. It's not that he was crucified only. But it's all the stuff that happened in between. Why? Because all the stuff that happened in between, he did it. It's not just that he did it, but it's how he did it. He did it without committing sin. Corinthians. Let's draw us in closer. Corinthians, easy to read. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 through 21. When anyone is in Christ, it is a whole new world. All things are gone. Suddenly everything is new. All this is from God. Through Christ, God made peace between himself and us, and God gave us the work of bringing people into peace with him. I mean that God was in Christ, making peace between the world and himself. In Christ, God did not hold people guilty for their sins. He gave us his, this message of peace to tell people. So we have been sent to speak for Christ, it is like God is calling to people through us. We speak for Christ when we beg you to be at peace with God. What are those first four words? Christ had no sin, but God made him become sin so that in Christ we could be right with God. Go to Peter for me. First Peter. Chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, easy to read. But if you are punished for doing wrong, there is no, good, there's no reason to praise you for bearing that punishment. But if you suffer for doing good and you are patient, that pleases God. This is what you were chosen to do. Christ gave you an example to follow. He suffered for you. So you should do the same as he did. He never sinned and he never told a lie. That rules a lot of us out. Almost all of us, all of us, almost all of us on the lap, all of us, who am I kidding? All of us. 
on the lie part. I'm going to try to divide the lie from the sin part, but it, 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 it bumps all of us out. People insulted him, but he did not insult them back. How many people can say that? He suffered, but he did not threaten anyone. No, he let God take care of him. God is the one who judges rightly. What is my whole point about all of this? Jesus was born. The fact that he was the son of God gave him a qualification to take on the job, but the work he did from birth to the cross validated him to be the lamb. If at any time he slapped somebody, if at any time he got so mad at his auntie that he cussed her out, if he any time he was he was just saying, devil, I'll take what you offer me, even if it's little small. If he tainted the blood, he would never have become the precious lamb that we know him to be. It's the in between that creates part of the whole package. And it's not just that he didn't sin. It's not just that he didn't sin. There is something to be said about the fact that Jesus went through what he went through because if he didn't go through what he went through, he would not be the savior we need him to be. Pay close attention. I didn't say that he would not be the savior. But he wouldn't be the savior that we need him to be. What do I mean? Look at Hebrews. Hebrews Amplified Classic. We're going to tell you that Jesus understands. Because he went through what he went through, he understands. Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, Amplified Classic. Inasmuch then as we have a high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith in him. For we do not, we do not, we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted, who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sin. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for and help in good time for every need, appropriate help and well-timed help coming just when we need it. He had to do what he did so he can understand what we go through. How are you going to be my high priest and I'm going to call you Lord and Savior and I'm going to call you Jesus. I'm going to call you somebody who I can go to and you've never walked in my shoes. How can I tell you that my heart is broken if your heart's never been broken and you understand? You may sympathize, but you can't empathize. You have to have gone through something just like I've gone through. 
The in-between was not just about him being a savior, but being savior the way we need him to be. The Message Bible says it this way. Same book, same verses, starting in verse 14. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, this high priest with ready access to God, let, let's not let it slip through our fingers. I like verse 15 so much how it starts. It's just plain English. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. We don't, we don't have a savior who's out of touch with what we're going through. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all. But all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Family, all of this stuff that happened between the endpoints were important. Now, here we go. Loved ones, if we took and made a timeline of your existence and my existence, what do we notice? Next image. At some point in time, we were born. And the simple fact that we're all talking here together, that endpoint now just has a question mark. In your life, though, you're now in the in-between. And while you're in the in-between, while you're living out your dash, everybody knows there's ups and downs in this journey. And there are people there are groups, there is the devil, however you want to you bundle it up, that try their best, maybe not now, maybe yesterday, maybe not now, maybe tomorrow, maybe today, try their best to discredit you, but your Savior knows how that feels. Try their best to harm you. Try their best to kill you and take you out. But guess what? Your Savior know how that feels. Try to take what you said and twist your words against you. Try to secretly do you wrong. Do they dirt. Hide their hands. Try to make sure that you fail, but nobody knows that your failure is because of what they did or what they said, or who they told, or what trick they pulled. Have you ever been betrayed by a friend? That's in your in-between. You experienced that in your dash. We went to grade school together. We grew up playing in the dirt together. We ate frozen cups together. Rode our bicycle together. Skin our knees together. Stole oranges out of Mr. Johnson's farm off his tree together. We did that together. We skipped high school together. You said we'd always be down. 
You said we were down like four flats, but you betrayed me. Your Savior knows how that feels. He was betrayed by one of his own. In that dash, you can be abandoned by, abandoned by a loved one. You said you would always stand by me. And now I look up and you done left. You said we were family. You said you were with me through thick and thin. Hey, get this. You took those vows. You said for better or worse. You said in sickness and in health. You said richer or for poor. You said that. You said that. You said that. You said you'd never leave me. And now I look up and you're gone. Peter said, I'll never leave you. Those disciples said, I will never leave you. Your Savior knows what it's like for people that you love to abandon you and leave you, even though they say they're not going to do it. You ever feel like the entire world's against you? That you're not getting your fair share? That you look around and it seems as if the worst of people are getting the good you deserve? Your Savior know what that feel like. You ever feel like you're being crucified? That you're down for the count? Hey, you ever felt like you were on the cross and wanted to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Your Savior know what that feels like. But I thank God That when you are in Christ, it matters not what the world attempts to do to you. It matters not your history. We do not live our lives looking in the rearview mirror. We are forward. We're always forward. Eyes locked in on Christ. And anybody that tries to trip you up and tries to get you to look in that rearview mirror, they don't mean you any good. Don't try to get me to look back at my pain. I'm a new creation. I'm not that person I used to be. That person they used to call good for nothing. But I'm now in Christ and God calls me washed. That person back there, they call stupid, they call ignorant, they call never will amount to anything. But when my God looks at me, he calls me washed. Don't look back and try to define me at what, what my mama and them did and what my daddy did. Your daddy was good for nothing. Your granddaddy was good for nothing. You gonna be good for nothing. Well, you can call me good for nothing if I'm living in my rearview mirror. But since I'm in Christ, guess what? My daddy calls me washed. My daddy calls me a son. My daddy calls me an ambassador. My daddy calls me a conqueror. My daddy calls me victorious. My daddy tells me that in him, I can do all things. So it don't matter what I couldn't do. Now that I'm in him, I can do all things. The impossible is even possible. It matters not the discredit 
the harm, what you're trying to do against me. You're trying to twist my words. You're trying to do me wrong. All I need to do is stick with my daddy. And when you think about this, you say to yourself, all of this stuff, though, leaves me with scars and hurts and pains and low self-esteem. In the middle of the night when there's nobody but me, it doesn't matter how much I say outwardly that I'm confident. I look in that mirror and I say, you're a failure. You can't be. You won't be. Your accomplishment is not going to come. You're not going to get the deal. You're not going to have a successful business. You'll never have the, the family that you want. That husband is going to always escape you. That wife is never going to come your way. You would say that. Why? Because you, all of your scars cause you to look at yourself in a manner that is self-destructive. But when you put all that you are in God's hands, I never want us to forget what Apostle Paul shares. He shares this. Notice. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. The voice says this, Romans 8, 28. That was the King James we are confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and accept his invitation to live according to his plan. I said all of that to tell you this. Family, all of your life has a purpose. All of what happens in your in-between has a purpose. It don't matter what it looks like. Put it in God's hands. He will use it for the kingdom. That looking back in your rearview mirror, the only time that's acceptable is for you to tell yourself, look how far the Lord has brought me from. But we do not assume that just because what we're going through is not to our liking, that God can't use it. We never say that. Loved ones, when we think about the life of Christ, having a savior who understands us and seeing how God used his ups and downs to have him be the savior we needed him to be. God can orchestrate in your life using your pains, using your hurts, using your experiences. He can orchestrate in your life his plan to make you be the person the kingdom needs you to be.
Paul says that God can orchestrate that thing for a good purpose. He did not say that everything will feel good to you. But he said God can orchestrate it in a manner that for his plan, it will work out to be good. Family, if we take all of who we are and put it in God's hands. And when I say all of who we are, I mean all of who we are. All of, all of our time, our, our talents, our resources, our experiences, whether good or bad. Whether good or bad. And put them in God's hands. It breaks my heart to know that your father did that to you. But if you put that in God's hands, he'll use it to deliver other people. It breaks my heart that that's what your spouse did to you. But if you put it in God's hands, he'll use it to deliver other people. It breaks my heart that you had that kind of upbringing. But if you put it in God's hands, he'll use it to deliver other people. Put everything that you've experienced, all that you are, in God's hands. And if you put everything that you are in God's hands, God can use it. God can use it. He will use it and orchestrate something beautiful for his purpose. I believe that puts us all in the same mindset. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go now. Next time we move a little deeper. Everything that you everything that you've gone through. I'm going to say this. I plan on not saying it until next week, but I'm going to say this right now. Everything that you've gone through. Thank you, God. So in case I forget to say it next week, I'm going to say it now. Everything, and that leaves out nothing. Everything that you've gone through. For some of us, We've spent a lifetime, a big portion of that dash, trying to hide it and bury it. And in trying to hide it and bury it, you've hindered God from maximizing who you are to be in this earth. It's not going to be until you allow him to unearth it and use it and you to stop being ashamed of it. That's the old man. That's the old woman. It's not going to be until you allow him to be able to take that, put it in his hands, and say to the world, this used to be me. It might be you. But if you want to know the way out, if you want to know how I made it through, if you want to know how I've gotten to be where I am, I will show you the way. Hey, get this. I didn't say I'm going to show you a scripture. I'm going to be the word walking for you. I can show you how I made it out. 
Yeah, I made it out with God and a lot of tears and a lot of prayers and a lot of people helping me out, but you can make it. You can change. I'm not here to put anybody on front street, so I want you to just lift your hands and pray with me. If this applies to you, let it resonate. If you know of somebody that it applies to, next time you see them, in the most Holy Spirit-led way you can, just gently let them know, if you allow God to take that pain and that memory and orchestrate it into something beautiful, your life will take a quantum leap forward in who you were created to be. God, I thank you right now for each and every person here. I thank you, God, that you know because of what your son did in the in-between, you know what we go through. I know Jesus is right now sitting at the right hand of the Father and Savior, thank you for praying for me. There are hearts here that are broken. We sit together apparently as whole people but we all have scars. God, we know you can see our hearts. There are things that we are ashamed of that we buried. Things that hurt us so deep that we've been buried. Failures that have hurt us so bad that we said we'll never try again. Times that we've been broken so many times that we've decided that we are beyond repair. Heartbroken by someone who we thought would always love us, but somehow we have now redefined ourselves as unlovable. We ask for your Holy Spirit to rush in. Fill that space. Heal that heart. Rebuild that confidence. Holy Spirit, there is a reason why we call you comforter. We don't know who they are, God, but Holy Spirit, do the work that only you can do. Comfort them. Bring the right people into their path to help them unbury themselves. And we look forward to the resurrection of the person you have called them to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, 
not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.